The Thing, and The Ghost Rider. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Ryan Daly. Taking you through a classic superhero team up. Uh, the next in the monster order, The Thing and the Ghost Rider from Marvel 2-in-1, number 8, cover dated March of 1974. It's also a holiday issue, so I get Merry Christmas, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. This is good. Uh, yeah, the, the reason planning for this one was knowing that this was going to be the December episode. I was like, hey, there's a monster-themed issue, a team-up, and it's a, a holiday issue. So, And also had a lot to do with why we scheduled Man-Thing as the earlier one. I did try to get this one into a Christmas special in the original formula of the show. I, I know I asked Fern, and you know, but it never came about, so you're the lucky guy. I am the lucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, let's, uh, let's just go into it. Because we can't really talk about our Christmases. We're taping this well in advance. Uh, but if you're listening to this on the day, it's like December 27th or something. So I hope you had a good one. So let's preface, in our case, with reasons why we like the guest character. What's so great about Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider? I mean, this seems like such a like a like a self-answering question. I mean, uh, <laughs> put yourself in the mind of what I imagine was Marvel's target demographic, especially in the early 70s, was like the young male, probably pre-adolescent or just on the cusp of adolescence. And if you can get into that headspace, Cisco, let me ask you if you think these three particular things are cool. Motorcycles? I hate motorcycles, but undeniably <laughs> cool in media. I mean, aesthetically, like, yeah, in media, yeah. yeah. Check. Skulls? That's just like a motif? Very cool. And fire. Yes, cool. <laughs> I mean... It's metal. Yeah, put them all together. Uh, you've got a stunt motorcycle driver with a flaming skull. And uh, there's all like this Satanism stuff that was going <laughs> on in the 70s that may or may not translate. It kind of depends on how much you think the writers of the time actually knew about Satanism or what their, their finger on the pulse of the counterculture was. But... Yeah, just, I mean, when it comes down to just straight Ghost Rider stories, he's just, you see him and you're just blasting rock music. And it's just, it's just, everything's just very cool. It's just something so primordial as that, just motorcycles and the flaming skull. It just lends itself to just this feeling of action and fun and adventure and like hard charging, just coolness. Yeah. I like that in later days, the, the hellish flame would transform really any vehicle. So it's not just the motorcycle. It could be... You know, like we've seen him on horses or we've seen ghost riders mm -hmm. on horses or just in about any vehicle. The newest one in the comics is the Hell Charger. Um, right. Which it looks great. But the first time I saw it when they tried that, I was like, well, now he's ghost driver. You don't ride <laughs> a car. I was like, you're changing. You're changing the rules. But. It looks really, really cool. You're right. In a car. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're fun permutations. And uh, I've always gravitated to this kind of stuff in comics. Heroes who can adapt, who can transform. They, they can become other action figures, <laughs> so to speak. You know, like uh, Impacts to Fly or people like that who just... Even Iron Man, who keeps changing armors, there's something, you know, cool about, okay, what's the next design going to be? What's the next vehicle going to be in this case? Actually, for a time in the comics, 
not long before we get to the the story that we're going to read, he could actually create the motorcycle whole cloth out of his out of the, the Hellfire. Right. And like the the motorcycle, like it it wasn't just like it had like flaming like wheels or anything. The whole motorcycle was like red and yellow flames. It just comes out of hell. You yeah. know. This, well, that's a perfect segue into what we call publication history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how about you get us through the 70s and 80s, and I'll pick it up from there. Yeah, this version of Ghost Rider, the Johnny Blaze one, because as mentioned, there have been several characters to to have that moniker, including versions that preceded this one. There was a Western character called the right. Ghost Rider, uh, actually, before this one. But the version that we're going to be talking about, Johnny Blaze, uh, the superhero motorcyclist debuted in Marvel Spotlight number five, which was the first issue after Werewolf by Night's tryout period. The issue, which was cover dated August 1972, was released a few months earlier in May of that year, which makes this year that we're recording, we're, we're getting in just under the nail because it's December. But this year, 2022, is Johnny Blaze's 50th anniversary. Wow. Ghost Rider was co-created by editor Roy Thomas with writer Gary Friedrich and artist Mike Plug. Unlike Werewolf by Night's three-issue trial period, Ghost Rider ran bi-monthly in Marvel Spotlight for seven issues, drawn by Plug and then Tom Sutton, before passing the mantle uh, of headliner to the Son of Satan took over after those issues. Lucky number 13 months after his debut, Johnny Blaze jumped through flaming hoops into his own book. Ghost Rider number one hit the streets in June of 1973. The following issue, however, Jim Mooney took over art duties on the book, a precursor to lots of creative turnover that would haunt Ghost Rider in his early years. Later in 1973, Ghost Rider teamed up with the Amazing Spider-Man in Marvel Team-Up issue 15, which is an awesome story by Len Wein and Ross Andrew. And if listeners want to hear about it, and they should, Rob Kelly and I discussed that story on a very old episode of Treasury Cast. Then, having also made a cameo in an issue of The Avengers during the Avengers Defenders crossover, Ghost Rider teamed up with The Thing in this issue of Marvel 2-in-1 that we're going to talk about. So this was only Ghost Rider's 21st published appearance. Later in 1975, looking to expand the character's audience and appeal, Marvel put Ghost Rider in their new oddball team-up book, The Champions, where he was partnered with Black Widow, Hercules, and the X-Men expats, Angel and Iceman. While the champions struggled for a year, Ghost Rider's solo comics suffered constant changes in writers and artists. Gary Friedrich was succeeded by writer Tony Isabella, then Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Doug Munch, Jim Shooter, and Roger McKenzie, while Jim Mooney's pencils were replaced by the likes of George Tuska, Frank Robbins, a young John Byrne, and Don Heck, to name a few. Artistic stability finally graced Ghost Writer when Don Perlin, whose long tenure on Werewolf by Night ended with that book's cancellation, took over with Ghost Rider issue 26 in 1977. Perlin would stay on the book until issue 71 in 1982. Michael Fleischer started writing the series with issue 36 and stayed on for 31 issues, leaving in 1981, shortly before Don Perlin left. Finally, under the guiding hand of a regular writer and artist, Ghost Rider made fewer and fewer appearances outside of his own comic in the late 70s and early 80s, once the champions were cancelled. After Fleischer and Perlin left, the book languished for another year, finally ending in June of 1983 with Ghost Rider 81. After that, Johnny Blaze appeared in just two issues of The Defenders in 1985, and to my knowledge, nothing in the 80s after that that I'm aware of. You are correct. 
I double checked that. Uh, yeah, I read a bit of Champions in French translation because they were in those big collections that we used to get. So I didn't choose to read Champions. It just <laughs> it came with the other stories. I went through it. I've read the whole series a couple of years ago. Is it better than people remember? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Not as good as I wanted it to be. Not terrible. I just, I was like, oh, this, this really could have been something, but it felt like, it's like, we have these characters, we should do something with them. And there wasn't that much more thought put into it than that. Well, Johnny Blaze is going to be, or as Ghost Rider, is going to be gone for a while. In 1990, Danny Ketch becomes Ghost Rider, and the comic actually... At that point, anti-heroes are all the rage. It blows up, really, as part of that wave of books. I had, like, at least two t-shirts with Ghost Rider on them at the time. You know, it was that uh-huh. kind of that kind of decade. And Johnny Blaze is sometimes a member of the supporting cast. The demon has moved on to the new host, but he's around. And it's later revealed that Danny was Johnny Blaze's long-lost brother. Uh, ridiculous. The series lasts until 1988, clocking in at 93 issues and an annual. Over the course of the series, Blaze joins Ghost Rider and others in The Spirits of Vengeance and gets his own spin-off series, Blaze in 1994, which lasts 12 issues, but he doesn't become Ghost Rider again until 2001. In a six-issue miniseries written by Devin Grayson under the uh, Marvel Knights imprint, there's a second miniseries by Garth Ennis in 2005, and then an ongoing monthly starting in July 2006, lasting, this time, 35 issues. This coincides with Ghost Rider making it to the movies. Nicolas Cage plays him in the first film in 2007, and in Ghost Rider's Spirit of Vengeance in 2011, where the flames go onto a crane at one point, so it it fits my... (laughs) It fits my particular uh, interest. That year, we get another volume of Ghost Rider. This one is nine issues. Briefly introduces a female Ghost Rider called Alejandra Jones, but Blaze is still the main character in that. Uh, But in 2014, they introduce a car-riding Ghost Rider in Robbie Reyes, who stars in 17 issues combined of all-new Ghost Rider and just plain Ghost Rider. Another issue was apparently done but never released due to cancellation. Reyes also appears in live action in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And a 2009 Ghost Rider series included both Johnny Blaze and Danny Ketch. The volume put out seven issues with two more announced but canceled. So it wasn't going so well with the IP, but this year saw the appearance of yet another attempt on the stands starring uh, Johnny Blaze. And it's been going since February. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Getting back to where you started, I... Like, I, I discovered the character in the 90s. Actually, right. it was Danny Ketch as the ghostwriter when I first met him. He looked so cool. But yeah, like, so I like I was surprised to find out later on that originally, like, Johnny Blaze, his sidekick, who was just kind of palling around with him in all of these, you know, like, Spirits of Vengeance, Midnight Suns crossovers that I was reading, that to find out that he was the original ghostwriter. That was an interesting little reveal. Johnny Blaze is one of the one of my big pet peeves about the official handbook to the Marvel Universe Deluxe Edition, which we cover on hot more not because they chose like the early issues it wasn't really well balanced no black panther gets just one page for example but then ghost rider he's johnny blaze at this point so blaze comma johnny gets one page he's shown without the skull because he's not ghost rider anymore and there are no images of him being ghost rider in that entry it's terrible so Mm. we spoke about it often on the show (laughs) so (laughs) I repeat it here. You know, one of my my favorite kind of like weird, out of nowhere, tangential like appearances of Ghost Rider kind of sort of 
Do you remember Danny Ketch's cameo in the very end of the Marvel series by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross? I don't remember that. <laughs> like, okay, so, you know, there, there's the narrator, the, the main character who's writing the book and everything like that. It's on the last page. His paper boy riding a bicycle is named Danny Ketch. Oh, wow. And he just, okay. like, throws that name out there. And, that, and, of course, it had to be Danny Ketch because of, like, the you know, the timing of when Marvels came out. But I was like... Oh, because the kid is on a bicycle, so he's going to become a biker. I was like, oh, okay. Good job, Kurt. I mean, I, I've never really ridden a bicycle very much. You know, I learned to ride a bike really late and never had my own bike, really. And I did not become a biker. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, of course. One naturally leads to the other. <laughs> Yeah, everybody's a biker then. Uh, Issue 8, let's uh, get into it. A bit of a synopsis. It's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. And it's written by Steve Gerber. So you can just imagine right away. Uh, With art by Sal Buscema and Mike Esposito. That title, by the way, Silent Night, Deadly Night, that has never been used anywhere else other than this issue. At all. And there's a movie out right now called Violent Night. I saw it. Which I saw. I saw it last night at the time of a recording. Imagine that Santa is Ghost Rider. It's essentially that. Christmas Eve, 1974. Johnny Blaze, a.k.a. Ghost Rider, is surprised to encounter what appears to be the Nativity Stories' three wise men in the American desert. Though invited to join their procession and follow a very special star, he rides off. Cut to the roof of the Baxter Building, where The Thing and Mr. Fantastic are setting up a telescope so Reed can observe the new star. Ben thinks he should instead spend this Christmas Eve with his kid and stomps off. But Reed does have the Christmas spirit because he wired the tree to throw off a amazing fireworks for the assembled friends and family. Meanwhile, 2,000 miles west, Ghost Rider chances on a Middle Eastern city right out of biblical times, seemingly under the new star. It's no illusion, it's solid, but the people are Native Americans going through the motions as if they were the townsfolk of Bethlehem. He stops in an inn and finds that there's no room for him, and of course, he finds a familiar sight in the manger. At which point, a voice forbids him to go in there. A voice from a mysterious figure who has used his powers to recreate the events of the nativity. And if he's made a baby Jesus, it therefore stands to reason that he has become God. With a gesture, he sends Ghost Rider and his skull cycle flying out of town. Back in New York, Reed has determined that the star points to a specific town in Arizona. The very reservation in which their friend White Winfoot resides. Ben stops him from leaving to check it out by going in his stead. From there, Ben lands the pogo plane on the outskirts of the city where he is greeted by Ghost Rider. In a twist on the usual Marvel formula of heroes throwing hands before asking questions, the thing is surprisingly restrained in his approach to the flaming skull-headed guy who claims to know what's going on. Perhaps because Ben actually recognizes him as the stunt cyclist Johnny Blaze, although he has no clue as to the supernatural adventures that have dominated Blaze's life over the recent past. In order to sneak into the city, Ghost Rider finds the three fabled wise men and convinces them that he is an angel who needs their help. Johnny and Ben don the robes of two of the wise men and follow the third into the city to the site of the nativity. The scene now complete, the mysterious villain reveals himself, and it's another face Ben recognizes, that of the Miracle Man, previously seen way, way back in Fantastic Four issue three, which was the first issue where the FF got their team uniforms, by the way. Mm. 
Before the heroes can attack, Miracle Man transmutates two of the barn animals to monsters and sicks them on Ben and Johnny. Then, because he hates the thing so much, he surrenders to the tantalizing lure of the villain monologue. He explains his plan to become not merely godlike, but the one true god. But when he tries to use his power directly against Ghost Rider, it fails him. Taking advantage of the Miracle Man's sudden moment of doubt, Ghost Rider chides his foolishness and his arrogance, reinforcing that doubt. Having lost faith in his plan, Miracle Man decides to burn the entire town and its captive citizens to the ground. Johnny sends Ben after the villain while he helps evacuate the people, believing the fires to be no danger to him. Ben catches up to Miracle Man, throws sand in his face to blind him, and then punches him out with one of those classic punches that is synonymous with the artist of this magazine. Once Miracle Man is unconscious, the burning city turns back to the Native American village. All of Miracle Man's changes revert to normal, except mysteriously for the baby he claims to have created. Wyatt Wingfoot tells Ben that the baby will be raised by the tribe. Johnny bids them farewell, wanting to ride off alone rather than answer any of Ben's questions, like what supernatural force prevented the Miracle Man's power from affecting the Ghost Rider, and is that a force for good or evil? So Steve Gerber has a real um, <laughs> has a real fascination with bringing Jesus into Marvel Comics. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean... Despite the fact that the editors constantly told him, no, don't do that. Because <laughs> Wondar gets turned into the Aquarian and he's like all Jesus-y. And this happens in yeah. this very comic, you know, eventually in Marvel 2 and 1, which tracks Wondar. He's actually in this. He's at the Christmas party. Oh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. He has the mind of a child. So he's playing with Franklin. They're building blocks there. There is that. And then there's here's there's the baby Jesus who's going to be raised by humans and who is incarnate of an energy, you know, whatever. Not the actual Jesus, obviously, not the second coming or anything, but it is these spirits who have communed with the Miracle Man, who one of them is reincarnated, I guess. And then there's the stranger, you know, who looks like Jesus. And that's not Steve Gerber's fault. That is that is a ghostwriter thing. You know, there's there's a character in here who looks like Jesus, who may be an adult Jesus, who may be responsible for saving Ghostwriter in this instance. And because it's a Christmas story, you think it actually might be. He's just referred to as a friend. And if you go to the Marvel Wiki, you will find him under a friend. He has an entry as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it was it was a recurring thing that yeah. Gerber was trying to, or um, not Gerber, it was uh, Tony Isabella. In that one, yeah. When Tony Isabella was writing, he he kept trying to create this this friend character. He wanted it to be Jesus, and I believe, as the story told, like finally he was just flat out said, like, no, this character has cannot be Jesus. And I think Jim Shooter, who was either, I don't remember what position he had at the time, but he, he kind of stepped in and co-wrote Isabella's final issue, where that character is not Jesus, but like rather a satanic or, or demonic yeah. hallucination or impersonation, like impersonator. Right, it's the, it's the devil playing right. with a ghostwriter's life, even though that probably doesn't make sense. If you go back, because that wasn't the intent, right? And and that was Isabella's last issue. And sort of reading between the lines, you figure, okay, he did not like that. They were changing the direction that he obviously wanted that character to go. And that might have facilitated his leaving. Right, right. Which, because then, right after he left so abruptly, that's why you've got like five different writers on the next five issues of the Ghost Rider book. Do you think that for a Christmas issue in a comic book universe, the nativity, you know, like the actual Christian basis for Christmas 
Is that fair game? I mean, I mean, if I'd like to say that anything can be fair game if it's treated respectfully or if if you apply the proper context to it. What's interesting is taking a story about with such biblical visual like canonical roots, and the main character is the thing who is Jewish, right? It's not, not Christian. Now, I'm not sure when it was explicitly stated in canon. Like, it might not have been until the, the Heroes Return era of the 90s that they specifically said Ben Grimm was Jewish. Maybe it was before that. I don't remember. But either way, yeah, it's kind of funny in retrospect to think now that, yeah, the main character of our Christmas story is going to be a Jewish character. Kind of going on this adventure. I don't know if this is offensive to anyone or anything, you know, like, you know, Miracle Man, to make himself be God, he thinks he's going to, I mean, he's completely off his nut, but he thinks that, if right. you know, if he recreates the events of, he could have chosen any event, really, uh, from, from the Bible. He could have said, well, if I do this particular thing, then that God did according to the scriptures then I am God, you know, I, I've reproduced what God did according to these. But he chooses the nativity because, of course, it's, it's Christmas. It's absurd. <laughs> I didn't even remember the Miracle Man, tell you the truth. What a mort with all the power in the world, but still a mort. Yeah, yeah, he just like, I mean, almost like if you go back in like the first like 20 issues of Stan and Jack's Fantastic Four, almost every issue introduced a character or villain or concept or some theme about the team that was reused again and again throughout the entire life of Fantastic Four that's still in play today. But if you go back to Fantastic Four issue three, what's remembered is not the villain. It's the fact that, oh, they got costumes and a flying car. I guess Miracle Man is, is way too powerful. He basically has, you know, a wishing power. Right. So right. how do you write that kind of thing? I guess it gets really wonky like in this. Yeah, he ended up in the 80s. He ended up on at the bad end of the Scourge's gun. So he's one of the, the Scourge's victims. That was it for him. I mean, like many villains at the time, they were cleaning house with that thing. Like, he is a mort, but his monsters, their Miracle Man stands, they're, <laughs> they're going, like, as soon as, the, like, he transforms the uh, the bull and the, the donkey into these monsters, and they're going, he's the Miracle Man, he can do anything, and, uh, okay, <laughs> PR monsters. I mean, if I was a farm animal, <laughs> and somebody gave me sentience and a bipedal body, I might... I might be a little bit loyal to that guy. I might say, yeah, because yeah, I'll back him. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the, the, the nice pieces here, of course, is seeing the Fantastic Four's Christmas because Christmas is about family. So you and they are a family. And so we see this family together or almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, like this is one of the things that I, I feel like it's one of the reasons why I love Reed Richards. And I also can't defend when people <laughs> hate him. It's because he's not thoughtless when it comes to Christmas and this gift. He's just misguided. He thinks, oh, I'm going to give them this really fun, really cool Christmas present with this tree. It never occurs to him that his very presence with the family, his participation in it, would be important to them. That that is part of the shared experience that makes it a good Christmas memory. He's like, I'll give you this thing. I don't have to share in it. I've got, I've got other things to do. But they're like, Ben was like, no, you have to be there with them. That's part of this whole thing. And he's just like, 
yeah, it's, <laughs> he be- Reed doesn't get it, and that's why the the thing I think throws himself on the knife in a way, you know, like especially yeah. especially in retrospect. If we if now we know that he's Jewish, even if it was known at this point, there have been a reference or something. I don't think writers were had that in mind, you know, at all times. Well, according to rapper and horrible, terrible person, anti-Semite Kanye West, he once penned the lyric, "My presence is a present." So, you know, think about that, Reed. You know, just go to be with your family. And hopefully that'll be the last time we ever have to reference Kanye West Jeez. anymore. I didn't think you'd go there. I Well, I mean, when we're talking about a Jewish superhero, I, I would let, you know what, Ben can clobber his ass whenever he wants. Flipping backwards, <laughs> the Sal Buscema style, which uh, I, I was reading these in order, in actual order, and uh, the very same shot happens in the issue before, you know, somebody ends, yeah. oh, it's yeah, always yeah. like that same flip. The other flipper for me is Gil Kane. Gil Kane flips, you know, when somebody gets hit, back-breaking flips. But this is more like towards camera, Salby Sema. So, okay, so Ben is going to go, you know, he's going to leave all his uh, friends and family behind. I mean, this party has, of course, Sue and Johnny and Franklin, but you've also got Medusas in there. And you got characters that were important at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> Nimarita was um, the babysitter in yeah. the series. So she's there and her roommate is there, Annie Christopher. Anyway, this is a, the era where Johnny Storm had a red uniform instead of the blue. Like when I found an, an issue where he was wearing this, it usually was like in a flea market or something. You know, it's like, I, I don't know exactly. I guess it was 70s and I, I wasn't getting comics in the 70s. So I would find like these random issues. And it's like, Johnny Storm's in red. What is this? Why is this? I hate that look too. It's so, it, yeah, it just looks so bad. Yeah, it's not good. Anyway, so we leave the party. The ghostwriter, meanwhile, is interacting with the Bible. <laughs> the wise man. And this, and- one of my favorite parts about this story is in the beginning is Ghostwriter is driving around and he sees what appears to be the, the three kings out of the, the nativity story. And they're like, hey, we're going to meet the, the child that was provided, basically inviting Ghostwriter to take part in what appears to be the nativity, but somehow set in the American Southwest of the modern times. He's like, do you want to take part of this? And Ghostwriter's answer is no. I'm I'm good. You guys. Yeah, I mean he's he's yeah. a satanic character, you know. He's part of that wave of anyway. So just like, but I I love it. Like the, like in the Heroes Quest story, you always have like the rejection of the call to action initially. But this is just like so obvious. It reminds me. You'll get a kick out of this. I think it was my first ever time playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like after we uh, the players had some kind of like skirmish or battle with something like the GM or DM, sorry, had this set of like, there was like a ship that was like half sunken and there was like this apparition of a ghostly little girl. And it was like, you notice the role perception check, you notice like all these things about her. And the game master so desperately wanted us to talk to this girl and she was going to lead us on the adventure. Of course. And my character was like, no, I want nothing to do with that. That just looks like trouble. We're going to go the other way. And he just kept on trying. He was like throwing every trick he could to get us to approach this ghost child and go on the like go to the adventure that he had clearly painstakingly written for us 
And my character was just like, no, I don't, I think this is a, I think we should just go spend our loot. And I was convincing all the other players to go with me. And it was just, it was killing him. So I just love it when there's obviously this clear story hook and the main character is just like, nah, bro, I'm good. <laughs> you you guys do your thing. Yeah, well, anti-heroes, right? So yeah. I had a similar experience where I almost set out to do that because there, there was this game master, dungeon master, I should say. Uh, there was this dungeon master in my town who was the older brother of uh, one of my friends. And uh, his reputation was that he killed two, three, four characters a night. So people were always constantly wow. remaking, redesigning their characters, you know. So I thought it was that was ridiculous. As a game master myself, yeah. I thought it was stupid. I got to university and he was there. He was an older student, obviously. And um, he sort of uh, invited us to play a game. And we said, a number of us said, sure, we're going to teach this guy a lesson. So... It's this, the same kind of thing happened where he he has like a child. A child is always you can't say no to a child, Ryan. So, and I know because I pull that trick all the time. I was not a father at the time, so maybe it was easier for me back then. As a when you're a teenager or a young adult, it's so so much easier to ignore kids, right? Than when you have them yourself. Anyway, the the, the kid comes in. It's like uh, you got to help us slavers or something. I specifically designed my character, and the game master knew this. As a magic user, yes, but also a pathological liar. <laughs> and this is where it comes in. I said, well, here, kid, have this rock. It's magical. Go and save your people. And then we went on. And, of course, the same thing, the desperation, the trying to get us to, to do the thing. But uh, it wasn't going to happen. And there was only that one session, obviously. It was just like a, a teachable moment. <laughs> but I, I have it all the time in my own games because my players like to play the characters to the hilt. And if they're anti-heroes, and sometimes they are, or if they're they're kind of cowardly, which which happens, they're trying to ignore the stuff because their prime motivation is running away. So I've had it. I've seen it. it happened this week, even. For Ghost Rider, why not? He's not a superhero. And I don't think in his mind he's a superhero. He's a guy with a curse. And he should have. I mean, this is a very demonic story, even though there's nativity there. Because when he gets to the inn, of course, there's no room at the end. The goat inn, you know? <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's got it's got like a, a demon. I don't know. There's a satanic element to that. There should have known that it's not quite the Bethlehem of the Bible. Obviously, when the thing gets there, now ghostwriters, okay, let's do it. You know, let's let's uh, get in on this story. But the, their clever ruse is not to join the the wise men. It's to zap the wise men and steal their their stuff. <laughs> steal their clothes. Yeah. So at this point, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Well, Ghost Rider in wise man clothing looks like, I don't know, a Lich King or something. <laughs> yeah. It's past the holidays now, but like, folks, go back and listen to the song with Three Kings and imagine that one of the guys singing is a, has a skull face and the other one looks like an orange rock face. Yeah. yeah. A Lich King or Iron Maiden mascot or something, you know. That's... Yeah, it's definitely, yeah. It's a cool look. It's like, that's why it's on so many vans. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's cool, but by this point, this story has gone off the rails in terms of <laughs> what is happening. Like, this is not your cutesy Santa Claus magic kind of Christmas superhero story that often happens. Right, it, right. It, You know, you've got a, a Hellspawn as one of the wise men bringing a gift to... A reincarnated baby Jesus recreated by, you know, a baby Jesus recreated by a supervillain. It's bizarre. Oh, I, they, they should have thrown, like, Frankenstein.
nonsense that one of the the monsters when they attacked. They really should have incorporated all of that. Yeah, they should have done some sort of. Well, I'm sure Steve Gerber knows what those elements are. Those things are, but a lot of people don't really know what frankincense or myrrh are supposed to be. It's incense and oil. It's essentially. Yeah. 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 You could have, the myrrh would have been a great. You know, you just like you create an oil slick. A Merslick, you know, you can defeat your villains that way. I mean, that that seems possible. But we needed those precious pages to reveal the backstory of the Miracle Man, which brings up all kinds of other like imagery of non-Christian related gods and deities and stuff like that. It's just bizarre. Right. It's like the spirits of the ancestors or something. You know, it's it's a weird way to get the Miracle Man. I guess if you read uh, FF number whatever, it makes sense in that context. This is a thing about Marvel Comics at this point in history, or maybe ever, because of their tight continuity. It's always about I mean, when you bring back a villain, you got to tie it back to the last time you saw the villain. And, you know, it's never in a vacuum. Right. And especially this era of comics and especially probably the team up books, because the team up books are bringing in different characters and thus different villains. Just like last time when we talked about Molecule Man, another FF villain who was apparently destroyed. But no, there's this convoluted story for why he's back. And same thing with Miracle Man here. Despite his great power, you know, he's very angry, he puts the town on fire, and eventually, well, he's he's essentially punched out of punched out of action <laughs> very physically. So usually the FF villains, you gotta you need Reed Richards there to figure it out or something. But clobbering time works just as well. I was shocked when Ben and Johnny Blaze actually encounter each other for the first time because despite their appearances and they are very like non-human atypical type of characters i i'm reminded of a line from aqua teen hunger force when uh master shake is like if i woke up looking like that i would just run towards the nearest living thing and punch it or kill it or something like that so i just i imagine these monstrous things like seeing each other and like the instinct would be to attack something that is that foreign looking but they come at each other very like maturely it's just like hey this is what's going on this is my experience. Okay, you fill in your part of the gaps. Okay, we can team up. And they, there's never any conflict between Thing and Ghost Rider, which is shocking for a Marvel team-up type of story. That's true. I mean, it's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That is, that is the Christmas miracle. And then Ghost Rider doesn't really get to do anything supernatural other than uh, his, his defense against Miracle Man's powers. And he doesn't really utilize his motorcycle in any kind of cool way, but... I did like how in this weird thing where he's completely out of his elements, he just like leans into the fact that he is like the spirit of vengeance and whatever in order to bluff and scare the crap out of, out of these guys, like the wise men. And then he fools miracle man just by like casting this doubt in his head, just by projecting his own authority that he really doesn't believe in, but he's able to bluff and he's able to scare them. And I just thought that was kind of a really cool trick for him. Yeah, there's a number of mentions, references on his end about being new to this. Uh, so 20, 21 issues or 21 stories is not that new. I, I was like a little like, hey, is he really that early in his career to, to be thinking these thoughts? But though there was a lot of like cliffhangers and like continuity, like in those stories, like those issues, like he hadn't had that many adventures. And a lot of them were just like repetitive of like facing like low rent satanic biker cults and like one particular like witch woman that he went up against for like five issues. Okay, so it's, it's like continuous issues. So there's fewer stories, so to speak. Um, and this one is set in the future, I noticed, because Christmas 1974 is well into the future of the, the, the time it, it came out by many months. So um, there's that. And at the end, and 
this is talking about time being wonky. At the, the very last thing we we hear in this comic after their goodbye and you know is next issue. You know, kung fu action as you've never seen it before. The thing in Iron Fist in uh, together in Marvel Two and One Number Nine. And it turns out you won't see it. <laughs> you've never seen it before, and you won't see it at all. <laughs> Is there no Iron Fist team up in the whole thing? No, somewhere at some point. But it's it's like fifty issues oh, later. Yeah, it's, it's like wait. Man. Yeah. So the next one was Thor. I don't know what happened there. So uh, obviously there was a story in the pipeline, and it didn't work out. Or it's weird. All right, who fared better? Let's look at both these characters and, and how they fare during the team-up. How well does this fit their stories or atmosphere? Is this a Thing story or is it more of a Ghost Rider story? Because I say Thing. You know, there's a Christmas in the Baxter building. White Wingfoot's hometown is, is at risk. There's an old Fantastic Four villain again. Yeah, and even though we meet Ghost Rider first in the pages and there's some allusions to his backstory and it, we kind of end with Ghost Rider 2. It's he's sort of his, his adventure and him being on the mm. road frames the story and he acquits himself well. But all that considered, I do think you're right. This is kind of what Thing gets up to when he, you know, lets the rest of the Fantastic Family spend Christmas together. He's on duty tonight. You know, he, he's, he's on call while they're having their Christmas party. And this is what he gets up to in this weird adventure. And I think, yeah, all of the, the Fantastic Four touches, there wasn't a lot of, it alluded to some Ghost Rider continuity, but it didn't develop anything or really move him forward as a character from this adventure. I mean, it could have gone either way if replaced the Miracle Man by something more Ghost Rider centric. And I think it changes because the fact that they're using a biblical setting, I think plays more into Ghost Rider than playing with the, you know, angels and devils, you know, kind of stuff. True. But yeah. the fact that Miracle Man is happens to be a Fantastic Four villain and just like it tips the scale. Yeah. All right. What are the cool moves these characters got up to? The thing. Is it just the Busema Punch or is there something else? <laughs> it's it is the Busema Punch. That's that's the best thing that Thing does in this issue. Although I will also add just like being a mensch and saying, no, I'll follow this whatever this mystery is, Reed. You need to go spend Christmas with your family. <laughs> Pull your stretchable head out of your butt and go be with your wife and your son and do everything. Whatever this crisis is out in Arizona or something, I'll deal with it. And I just I like the fact that he, he kind of steps up to do that. But in reality, it's the punch. That's what Thing does. Of course. What about Ghost Rider? Uh, getting back to what I was saying before, I just I love the fact that he just he bluffs the wise men when he's like, "Hold on, I am an angel from God, and I demand that you like do this thing. Give me your clothes so we can go and infiltrate this little village or something like that." And then later on, when he's talking to Miracle, when Miracle Man's like tries to use his power against him and it doesn't work. He's like, you foolish mortal, you think you're the you actual god, you can't stop any like he just kind of projects him this this air of authority of like of being an angel and it's enough to cast the seed of doubt in the miracle man. So he gives up his entire plan based on that. He's like, okay, this was a failure. I'm going to burn down a village and run away. Yeah, it's good. I chose just the fact that he evacuates the town. Like he lets Yeah. There, there's no there's no ego here. Let, just let the thing do a punch out while he is he evacuates people from the burning town, which also fits his motif of, you know, being a burning character. Dumb or weird moves, the thing? Um uh, for the thing, it's not dumb at all. It's it's smart. It's just it's just oddly uncharacteristic for Marvel. But the fact that he doesn't attack Ghost Rider, the fact that they're, he's just like, he recognizes him. He's like, oh, yeah, I think you're that celebrity stunt motorcyclist. And they just, 
have a conversation and figure out what they need to do to solve the problem. It's not a dumb move, but it does feel weird because Marvel Tomb Up, aren't they supposed to fight for the first two pages? Well, yeah, Johnny Blaze had the Ghost Rider persona before becoming Ghost Rider, right? I mean, he did the flaming skull thing. It, it'd be, he incorporated it into his act. After? Yeah, he, like, yeah, okay. He, well, it would be too much of a coincidence if he was doing right. it before. It was him and the human fly, you know, <laughs> doing their thing. <laughs> And he's just like, I can't tell you why I'm wearing this helmet thing. Just don't ask me about the Flaming Skull helmet. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Maybe Ben is more uh, sympathetic to monstrous. Probably. You would hope so. You know, my people. <laughs> we, we're, we're cursed. Just as long, as long as they don't get the cover out of the magazine as the as the world's best monster or right. something. Because that was his problem in the last That's right. He went out. looking for a fight in that one. <laughs> uh, so uh, for me, well, there's a weird scene during the Christmas party. You know, the, the Christmas tree blows up in, in fireworks as prepared by Reed. That doesn't look dangerous at all. Uh, and uh, and then um, Ben thinks it's funny, ironic, and he throws himself into the couch and crushes it. Is that really that funny that, you know, Ben would be rolling on the floor, destroying furniture? Eh. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what about Ghost Rider's weird moves? When Miracle Man first attack, uh, like, appears before him, he, like, twirls goes right around in like this vortex tosses him out of the city like his motorcycle goes flying past him and Ghost Rider says something to the effect. He's like, nobody can do what he just did. It's like, at this point in the past 20 issues, Ghost Rider has tangled with a couple of powerful supernatural beings that are able to do stuff like that. Like, he's like, like he's like, I've never seen somebody with this much power. It's like, just based on that demonstration, uh, you've seen some devilish people. He lives in the Marvel Universe. If he watches the news yeah. at all, I don't know. Yeah, so I wasn't too sure what to, to say here. I think just the uh, the wise man look itself could win the award. It's a good look. <laughs> I think there's uh, there's some some racist dialogue coming out of him that is very much mid-70s and doesn't play well today. Some of the, the slurs or the words he uses are oh, really... But yeah, I think um, walking around as the, you know, Iron Maiden mascot, like you're not fooling anyone. I know it's not a disguise. They're just, they're, they're, they're playing <laughs> the role of the wise men so they can get into this looped scenario or whatever, but it's a lot. Uh, the unfriendly farewell. It's Ben's team up tradition. It's got to be a little rough. It's got to be a little. Meh. So uh, how does this one rate? Well, in this one, Johnny just skates past the farewell. He just gets on his bike and takes off out of town while Ben is dealing with like the child and Wyatt Wingfoot and everything like that. And uh, he's just trying to get out of there before anybody can ask him any questions about, hey, what's up with that? skull so-called helmet thing or who, who are you what what are these powers you have because he's not really sure of himself and he doesn't want to uh, confront those questions right now but so yeah it's sort of a non-farewell because uh johnny rides off on his own adios folks and he's off you know it's like i can't stay they can't see me eat christmas turkey <laughs> yeah. because uh then they'll realize that's no helmet you know and he rides out of town. That's fairly friendly, you know, in the sense that these two characters got on pretty well. All right, we'll take a break for a couple promos, and we'll be back with our special features. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. 
doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? <laughs> Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. <laughs> now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics. When Adam Ryder sold his soul to the demon Sardathos in exchange for finding his soulmate, he was surprised to be sent to another planet, and even more surprised to be ripped from his love, Roxalana, after 24 hours, cursed to seek the Zara Beam that would take him to her again and again and again. In the pulse-pounding 25th issue of Mystery in Hell, Adam learns the truth of his adopted world. It's not in the world of the living. Can Adam Ryder escape on his rocket bike with Roxalana, or was she one of the damned all along? Don't miss it on the stands this Monday. We're back. Our monthly feature, the bonus team up in which each of us proposes, in this case, the perfect Ghost Rider team up. What do you have? I, I went with something like Ghost Rider and the Greg Saunders Vigilante. I know we've got friends and followers of the network who are big fans of that character. And I just thought like the two of them on motorcycles together put them in like a old wild west kind of setting maybe a literal ghost town with like a kind of like supernatural environment that includes like you know a wild west shootout and ghost rider having to do it maybe he can like instead of like you know the, the flaming cycler like the danny catch ghost rider would have the flaming chains but like shooting flaming six shooters or something like that from the motorcycle or kind of like kind of combine the two of them but i just thought yeah the two of them riding motorcycles together in the southwest doing some cool stuff stuff up against like a uh, a supernatural kind of wild west ghost town type of thing i think would be fun i like yours better than mine <laughs> so i just thought i was like oh where do we go with this so i, I put ghost rider in with the demon it's also a marvel dc crossover yeah. because both characters were written by garth ennis at some point so yes. so I, w- I would do those versions of these characters by this author against the Marvel DC combo of Mephisto and Lucifer. Um, so something that really takes the piss out of both and ruins hell for both. <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, a takedown of Mephisto and of the, the Lucifer from the Sandman comics, you know, make fun of that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, hadn't thought of the vigilante. I was like, who else is on a motorbike that I want to see? You know, and I, I didn't think of the vigilante. So I think that would be pretty cool. I want to each segment has its own flavor in this case in Marvel 2 and 1. I Wanna Rock is riffing on Benji's skin and Ryan's deep interest in music to bring you a musical selection each episode to go with the comic and its guest star and the holidays. Ryan, <laughs> what are we listening to while we ride behind Ghost Rider? Well, listeners familiar with my shows know how much I enjoy Christmas songs. Uh, so that was obviously where I was heading with the story. And Ghost Rider lends himself to rock music, and it didn't take long to settle on a version of Little Drummer Boy by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Come, they told me 
Uh, I love the percussive rhythm of the song. It kind of creates this natural driving beat that fits the biker on the road theme. The song itself refers to the nativity, which works for this story. Uh, and Ghost Rider's arch enemy is a demon called Blackheart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, another version of Ghost Rider. So, yeah. yeah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. I knew you, would, you were going to go with a rock and roll, something, you know, a harder Christmas song, obviously. I, I never think of The Little Drummer Boy as a nativity story. I, I, I never listened to the words, I guess, because, you know, I look at my little manger under the tree. Fictional, because I don't have a tree or anything. There's no drummer boy in there. I guess he's one of the little, he's with the sheep? He's one of the little shepherds? Yeah, I guess. He's, he's supposed to lead people to see the nativity. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so he must be like, a, I mean, it's either that or he's in the retinue of the wise men. We got four months to do this, obviously, but where do we go <laughs> next? Because the way it worked, in 2022, we were doing the Monster Order. So starting from number one, every time there's a monster, that's what we were going to do. We only did two issues. What do we do for 2023? Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have uh, three issues then. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a cue from the MCU next year, unless the schedule goes through another shakeup. Next year, we should be getting the films Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and after that, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and after that, The Marvels. All of that kind of puts me in a cosmic sort of mind, so that is going to be the theme for Marvel 2-in-1 in 2023. I can't tell you which issues we're covering yet, but they will feature the thing and some cosmic or space-based superheroes. Well, in that order, every probability that we do start with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think we're going to go further off in, in this case and not stay within the first year. All right, let's. it's going to be interesting. Okay, now it's time for feedback on our previous episode, Together, in which we covered Marvel 2-in-1 number one, starring The Thing and The Man-Thing. All right, let's start with Captain Entropy. Says, Siskoid and Ryan, I love Marvel 2-in-1 because I love Ben Grimm as a character and watching him interact with other heroes in the Marvel Universe. On top of that, I was both impressed and fascinated by your analyses of the characters overall and the story in this issue. I think I'm going to enjoy this podcast very much. Thanks, Captain. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that's good. Good to hear. Chris Franklin chimed in. He said, great start, fellas. I can personally see Kane's style throughout. We, this, I think, was one of my comments that I wasn't, I didn't necessarily recognize Bob, uh, Gil, not Bob Kane, Gil Kane. Chris said, I can personally see Kane's style throughout, except for Ben. I'm glad Sinat was here to homogenize the classic thing look, because Kane on Ben without him is kind of, well, it ain't great, despite my love for Kane. Then later on, Chris said, I like the I Wanna Rock segment. That's a great way to get a bit of... Fire and Water Records back on the network. You know, another way would be if I actually produced additional episodes of Fire and Water Records. Will that happen? We'll see. Or even me, because I have threatened it many times. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Martin Gray says, fun episode, lads. I loved um, Marvel 2-in-1 and Marvel Team-Up and was disappointed when the comics were replaced by just one more book for the lead characters. You were right. The story must have been planned as the next thing team-up in Marvel feature as the final issue of that had a blurb saying next issue, Man-Thing, or whatever. They must have just repurposed the publishing schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Siskoid, I never found Man-Thing rude as a name who calls their willy a thing and besides Ted's monster moniker makes no sense at Marvel because what was Ben Grimm but a man thing this story would have been a great chance for a new name to be tried I guess for man thing because he was so early in his career you can't change the thing's name obviously right I, I yeah I can't no I, <laughs> I'm gonna say like man thing no that's that's something you don't touch <laughs> 
<laughs> whether it's the name or not. <laughs> David Ace Gutierrez said, The Thing Punching Chewbacca, sign me up. It can happen now. Yeah, that's uh, by the cover. Tim Price said, By complete coincidence, I started reading Marvel 2-in-1 from the beginning this year on Marvel Unlimited. There's a particular character and storyline that motivated me to start, but I haven't reached it yet. Still, a fine excuse to try more new-to-me comics. And this issue was a hoot. I was shocked that Ben's in the middle of an arc with issue one, not what I would have expected from a Bronze Age comic. Yeah, that's the what we were kind of talking about, the first couple – the what was the end of Marvel feature? Mm-hmm. Like the last two issues were like the start of his, his team ups. And then that kind of spun off, but it, it wasn't unprecedented. It was kind of a, a thing that happened a lot in during this time, because so many characters started out in these kind of tryout periods. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, uh, werewolf by night started in Marvel spotlight issues, two, three, and four issue four ends in a cliffhanger with the werewolf being frozen as a statue and placed in like the, garden of the villain's menagerie or something like that so then a month later if you pick up werewolf by night issue one thinking this is the launch issue that you're gonna get like the origin and the first appearance of it no on the first page the werewolf is a frozen statue in this like palatial garden it's like what the heck is happening here just because that wasn't planned as an issue one it was planned as just like the next issue and they were like nope we've got enough uh, of a reaction we can make this I think the same was true of Iron Fist, too. He had, yeah. like, 10-issue tryouts or something. And then by the time he got to his his first, like, Iron Fist issue one, I don't think that was, like, a normal, regular first issue. I think that was in the middle of a storyline, too, I think. I bet it, this has something to do with the uh, stranglehold that DC had on the distributor. Because at the time, yeah. Marvel couldn't publish, you know, they had like a limit to the number of comics they could publish. So instead of launching new characters, they just gave them these tryout periods and then they just, you know, is this worth it? You know, so they had all these, in the case of Marvel Feature, it stopped there. You know, it's like, let's stop publishing Marvel Feature and let's start Marvel 2-in-1 just as a replacement. I, I think that was possibly you know, a mathematical uh, calculation that goes into what gets published, essentially. Yeah, they and they needed to know that a character had the legs mm-hmm. to to hold on to to sustain a monthly book for a while. Then we have Chris Lister says I never could find a copy of Giant Size Man thing in a good condition. Many copies do not have intact covers. I don't know, there's a joke in there. So Lizanne Oswald says uh, the staff, Molecule Man staff or wand. I guess I, I call it a wand. As it turns out, was psychosomatic. It doesn't work at all. It's a piece of wood or plastic. The power was always within the Molecule Man, but for whatever reason, he believed he needed the item to use his powers so basically the good guys win this because the bad guy believes he's been defeated but that's all retcon obviously liz likes the further irony of the heroes both getting what they want but then they can't enjoy it which is to say their humanity all right well uh thanks for teaming up with me ryan you want to tell people what you're working on at the moment or for january yeah, well, um, listeners, you can find me on Cheerscast right here on the Fire and Water Network. With the new year, I will be starting a new era of Cheers uh, when we start season six, which is the beginning of the Rebecca years. Um, rather unfortunate mm-hmm. timing. Uh, just uh, uh, two days ago, as we're recording this, uh, we lost the actress 
Kirstie Alley, who played Rebecca. Uh, so I will have a lot of thoughts about her and her like, her whole career, but especially her time on Cheers, just as we're going to start diving into uh, that series. So, yeah, Cheers cast season six will start in about a month or so. And uh, you know what? Maybe maybe some future episodes of Fire and Water Records. Maybe that show will have a, a second life as well. We'll see. Let's, see. let's see that phoenix be reborn. Let's see that new baby Jesus. A reminder that we do have a Patreon, so if you like this content want more like it, please think about making a monthly or one-time donation, the amount of which will allow you to unlock rewards. Check it out at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. This month, we are proud to team up with our sponsor, Alan W. Wright, The Bold Outlaw. And we do enjoy reading your thoughts, and the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com. But you can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network Facebook page, find us on Twitter at FW Podcasts. We'll read your comments on this issue when Ryan is back with us. But next month, I'll be here with my old partner, Bass, as we continue our coverage of DC Comics Presents with issue three. So on that, see you next time for another amazing superhero team up, because after all, justice is a team effort. And seriously, if I didn't make myself clear before, screw Kanye West. Clobber the hell out of that guy. The only thing standing between you and the rider is me. And he's just... He's, he's scraping at the door! Scraping at the door!